Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. You're watching the Ideas Factory at the ORF online. With me is Professor Harsh Pant. We will look at all that was important in your world during the past week. India has assumed presidency of the G20 on the 1st of December and the first Sherpa meet of the G20 uh, representatives uh, of the leaders is taking place here in India in the city of Udaipur. We will look at that, how India is placed in a very unique position as it assumes the presidency of the G20. But other than that, let's look at China. China, where a lot of protests are taking place and it is unusual that we see these kind of protests on the streets in China. So we will look at that. We will look at the Russia-Ukraine situation to all that on this episode of the Ideas Factory. Uh, to begin with, let's look at China. Harsh, during the past week, we have seen a lot of protests, a lot of slogans being raised against Xi Jinping on the streets of China, in Beijing, in Shanghai. And this was unusual. I mean, after the Tiananmen Square protests, probably there have been protests, but not at this scale. Or we don't know whether it was hyped by the Western media, but at least pictures came out, visuals came out, and there were slogans like down with Xi Jinping. Uh, there were various kind of uh, protests that one could see. Uh, this was against the very strict COVID curbs, of course. But was it? It also spread to the universities. There were students involved. Can we see this as a as a warning to Xi Jinping? But at a time when he's assumed the presidency for the third time and uh, is more in in control of things than ever before. But you see this as a warning to his authority. You see this as also a discontent within the Communist Party. Uh, thanks, Sangma. I think the, this, you know, the, these protests have been quite unprecedented. Many people don't realize that protests are actually quite common in China. But those protests generally tend to be very localized. You know, they, they tend to be on local issues with lo against local administrations in various parts of, uh, of the country, often disjointed. Uh, but, uh, you know, these protests uh, have been unique because uh, they have been uh, more coordinated. Uh, there is a sense, uh, there is a common challenge that uh, everyone seems to be facing. And this is the COVID challenge, uh, how, uh, you know, the, the, the zero COVID policy and its aftermath. So in some ways, uh, people are feeling uh, have, have similar problems, cha similar challenges across uh, the country. And I think that was uh, reflected in some of these outbursts and some of these protests. Uh, and uh, especially in particular, I think the students, communities, uh, university students came out. And, uh, you know, whether you believe uh, them or not, there was certainly a, a, a discontent about zero COVID. There is a discontent about the way Chinese administration has handled it now for the last two and a half years, almost uh, people being put under extremely difficult uh, circumstances. And I think they're, they're also recognized that the world is moving on while China is not. So I think that also creates pressure uh, about, uh, you know, the economic future, about their own livelihoods, about their own day-to-day uh, -day, uh, workings. And I think that uh, almost uh, has become a pressure cooker sort of a, a situation for, for, for many Chinese. And so I think there is a lot of steam is being is being vent out. Uh, it's, it's. I don't think it's. It's quite uh, likely that uh, Xi Jinping uh, would would go anywhere because of these uh, protests. But certainly, I think what it underscores is that when you have a system which is insulated from the demands of the people, then 
at any moment it can burst out like this and the administration will have to be extremely nimble uh, in in responding to it and already we are we are seeing changes we are seeing an acknowledgement that something has gone wrong uh, that things need to change and i think uh, in 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 a in a statement that was quoted by a european official uh, saying that uh, you know chinese um, officials are telling them that uh, you know that people are angry people are dissatisfied and they need to change uh, their policies and they will change their policies because they know that um, uh, you know uh, they they have to adapt to to what people are people are telling them but i think it's it's a broader spectrum of of issues that that one has to underscore that for all that uh, xi jinping represents the power the centralization many of his and i think most of his decisions have been rather poorly received you know if you look at foreign policy he is he has almost isolated china single handedly he managed to make china the bad uh, guy uh, around the world around uh, across a range of countries and now domestically people are also uh, dissatisfied with the way the economic environment is shaping up and with the way his zero covid policy has has emerged so certainly not a very good uh, uh you know um third a very good start to a, to a, to an almost historic third term an unprecedented third term that he has gained but i think it should be a reminder of what uh, you know how centralization uh, overt centralization extreme centralization can do to policy making it could be his biggest challenge after assuming presidency for the third time a record third time and uh, at the time when he felt he was all powerful uh, we also here uh, a couple of analysts talk about the discontent within the communist party which is what is also reflecting uh, you know on the streets maybe or, or or in the kind of protest that we saw on the streets and that could be his biggest uh, challenge to control these and he may not go anywhere some, uh, soon but uh, does it undermine his authority does it make the situation difficult for him there well it does make the situation difficult for him and i think it does uh, uh, you know uh, make it very clear that uh, he despite his uh, centralization of powers uh, you know uh, is uh, is leading a country where multiple fault lines uh, are coming together you know whether it is uh, the, the problem of economy whether it is a problem of a pandemic whether it is a problem of uh, uh, inequalities across regions uh, and uh, as you as you point out dissatisfaction within the party about the trajectory that the party has taken you know let us remember that before him there used to be more collegial system of governance uh, where uh, different groups used to work together balancing each other out but also giving a semblance of uh, of stability to the communist party hierarchy today uh, you know he has become the face of the party so ultimately uh, you know uh, if if he if he is willing to uh, take on the successes of china on his shoulders he'll also have to bear the responsibility for the failures and that's the challenge that he faces because he can't dissociate himself from uh, his zero covid policy which just a few weeks back he told uh, how wonderful it is doing to the 20th party congress and now suddenly it, is, it seems not to be doing so so well so yeah. clearly i think he's he's now under pressure and therefore he's uh, he's also uh, asking the local administration now to take a lot of the blame so that so the argument is that this is all about local administrations their inability to be flexible their inability to to manage uh, you know people's uh, circum uh, circumstances in a way that perhaps allows them greater flexibility but ultimately 
uh, as far as people are concerned and that's what we we heard briefly if at all you know the, this this sense that uh, down with xi jinping xi jinping the sense that ultimately everything is about xi jinping uh, in china today and he can't really rule himself out from these murmurings of discontent and ultimately uh, that is going to be his biggest challenge both as communist party tries to find an alternative to the centralized decision making process that he has created and the people on the streets express their discontent openly absolutely like you said if he takes the credit for everything that happens jane has to take the blame or the responsibility too for all that goes wrong and there are a couple of things that are um, creating trouble back uh, domestically in china there is a bad economy to deal with there is discontent amongst the people we are also hearing that china is finding it very difficult to vaccinate it's elderly uh, china has refused western vaccines of course that's a different matter altogether but china is uh, also a couple of factories are moving out of china like apple has planned to move out of china probably because of all the protests that it saw but at the same time china does not fail to interfere in areas which does not really concern it directly for example the india us military exercise that was taking place in oli and china raised objections and said that this is uh this poses a great uh, threat to us that but at the same time china convenes gathering of the indian ocean nations and it invites about 19 countries all those countries which are part of the indian ocean region india being a very integral part of the indian ocean region was probably the lone absentee how do we see this uh yeah well i think this is uh, this has been uh, an a, a quite uh, Uh, quite an interesting gathering and 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 one must acknowledge that uh, there have been you know a, a lot of back and forth between who is coming who has joined who did not join uh, but clearly india was neither invited nor it participated uh, in in its official capacity but i think it it tells you something which is which is that china's uh, uh, expanse of interest is quite wide today and indian ocean in particular is important for china today as it looks at uh, um, its own uh, growing profile in the region in the indo pacific and indian ocean in particular is is jarring because indian ocean is one uh, one geography where india's geographical advantages give india some natural uh, you know a heft and therefore for china to push back in the indian ocean is very very important to demonstrate to the world that uh, you know indian ocean is also an area where it can exert influence uh, like other parts of the world Uh, and indian ocean is also one area where china feels uh, its uh, strategic interests lie uh, given the trade routes given the given the strategic uh, frontiers that that are, that are expanding for china so certainly uh, i think one has to look at this as part of competitive institution building uh, in in the indian ocean region china's attempt to frame some kind of a platform some kind of a uh, some kind of an institutional architecture uh but also pointedly uh not bringing india into the fold or not keeping india into the loop now it has its of course uh, you know uh, china is is a is a very important part uh, of uh, of the region today uh it is a very important partner to most indian ocean countries so it has uh, you know it has uh, it will try to push its weight across the region but i think the challenge is fundamentally about india that in in the indian ocean if you are trying to create something if you are trying to conceive something you really cannot ignore india 
without india there is not going to be any credible institutional architecture that one can create without india you really cannot map out the challenges in the region and therefore work uh, with, with 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 other countries uh, and uh, india uh, has been uh, the has the first mover advantage in the region with platforms like uh, iora etc uh, where where india has been uh, galvanizing the region towards meeting common challenges so india is already out there china's attempt how successful it will be remains to be seen but what china is doing is putting india on notice that it is willing to shape uh, the regional architecture even in the indian ocean and its presence in the indian ocean is something that one has to take for granted now china is stepping up its diplomacy clearly in the indian ocean region and what was i mean how do we see uh, the intent of keeping india out considering india because of its geographical position has a natural heft in the region but the intent to keep india out and at the same time complaining about every uh, you know like the military exercise the joint military exercise that india and the us um, uh, uh, armies were doing in oli Yes, I think you know that is something that uh, uh, perhaps that uh, that worries China, and I think that was uh, that complaint in that in that complaint was reflected the under underlying worry that uh, uh, India and the U.S. Uh, and India and the West, particularly, are now uh, working much more cohesively together than they were before. And and uh, to be very honest, a lot of the blame has to be laid at China's doorstep itself. Had China played its cards better, perhaps the situation would not have arisen. But clearly, for India, uh, you know, having any other country uh, giving any other country a veto over what it does with the, with the, with, uh, with you know with its like-minded uh, partners uh, is not really an option. And and I don't think uh, China has. Uh, any credible right to to uh, to to make that kind of an argument uh, india will uh, work with with its partners the way it deems fit and india is not doing anything that india is not doing with many other partners in many other geographies uh, military exercises these days are common part of uh, defense diplomacy uh, they are uh, standard elements of defense diplomacy and india has been engaged in an extensive array of defense diplomatic diplomatic engagements uh, of course uh, you know uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, with the fact that the geography in which indo-us exercises mm -hmm. were taking place uh, were very close to the chinese border but that is uh, what it is uh, i think ultimately if india has to work with its like-minded partners in meeting the challenges and then those challenges will have to be defined by the geographical boundaries they represent and in this in this particular case uh, or in in wider case uh, you know in in the wider ambit of india's defense engagements elsewhere also uh, you know, India does not uh, uh, take these decisions uh, or pursue these uh, these choices based on what other parties or third countries are thinking about it. It's primarily determined by its own interests and by by its own strategic imperatives, and that's what it was doing. Uh, what it was doing with the Americans as well. Of course, what we see is how uh, China has basically different standards when it comes to what China is pursuing, the, the aggressive policy and what it expects its neighbors to do. Uh, we're talking uh, of India's presidency at the G22, Harsh, uh, but, you know, India has assumed this presidency at a time which is very where the world is very, very divided. Uh, for example, I mean, the main thing is, of course, the Russia-Ukraine war. So before we look at the challenges and the unique position that India is in as far as the presidency is concerned and these turbulent times, uh, what really is happening with the Russia on the Russia-Ukraine front? Do you see any kind of progress there? Yes, I think very interesting uh, developments that have happened uh, recently. 
uh, although not in, in any way um, uh, you know leading us to believe that anything substantive is in the offing uh, but during uh, the french president's visit to washington uh, us president uh, biden uh, openly talked about his uh, you know his willingness to talk to the russian president um, but he added a caveat that if 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 uh, mr putin wants to uh, is interested in in peace and i think uh, the the response from russia was that we are interested only if uh, the us and the west uh, accept some of our demands and one of the demands being to recognize the uh, the areas uh, that they have annexed uh, that 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 moscow has annexed uh, you know in, in ukraine now clearly that is not a, a you know demand that the western countries are going to uh, agree to uh, particularly as it involves uh, ukraine and and i think one of the common refrains that we have heard is that uh, it will be ukraine's decision uh, as to what happens between russia and the west ultimately if ukraine decides that they want to pursue peace it's it's their decision and the terms that will be decided will be decided by the ukrainians themselves and ukrainians at this point are not interested uh, in uh, in uh, you know in pulling back because they have the advantage on the battlefield they, they it's it seems that uh, you know some of the ground that that the russians had uh, russians have been losing the ground on the battlefield so russians are now more interested or or their war strategies aimed at targeting ukrainian civilian infrastructure energy grids in particular to ensure that this this winter uh, ukrainians have a very very difficult time and that would you know uh, push them uh, in, into finding a solution to the problem but it's unlikely in the short term to yield any 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 results and uh, ukrainians are not going to relent and therefore russians are not going to relent and 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 as a result what we will find is that this this grinding war will continue through the winter and and as they regroup as the two sides uh, resupply and enhance their logistics perhaps for a counter offensive in the spring so i don't see a possibility that any any dramatic a shift is going to happen where the two antagonists are going to come to the negotiating table and therefore while there is a desire on the part of many western countries uh, we have seen uh, statements from france from us from germany all indicating that a diplomatic solution is needed but i don't think they have the terms yet on which this diplomatic solution can be found so no diplomatic solution really is in the offing for now nothing substantive and it's going to be a very difficult winter for the ukrainians of course also for a lot large part of europe uh, in these uh, turbulent times and the way the world is polarized india assumes the presidency of g20 we uh, know that the first uh, sherpa meeting is taking place in udaipur where actually the agenda the broad outline the priorities will be set for the upcoming meetings during the course of the year uh i mean there are talks on uh, social development goals uh, those are need to be adopted uh, so it's india is placed in a very unique situation and also a lot of challenges going forward uh, yes i think uh, again uh, in, in india's position remains very unique and we have heard statements um from uh, various quarters um uh, you know the the germans the french the americans uh uh even the russians have spoken out and said that look um we uh, we really we really look forward to india's presidency because india is uh, remains one of the few countries 
that can extend the hand to multiple stakeholders at a time of this uh, extreme polarization in global politics. Uh, and so, uh, it, you know, there is much that is riding on India's leadership mm. at this point. Yeah. And that, again, that itself makes it makes, makes it a challenge because uh, if the expectations are so high, then uh, India's inability to deliver uh, would also be, uh, it can also be quite uh, problematic. So therefore, uh, for India, this is a moment uh, to ensure uh, that it brings all these stakeholders together. But also, I think it is, as Indian policymakers have repeatedly outlined, that they would want their presidency uh, to be uh, the uh, to be a platform where the voice of the global south uh, becomes more prominent in global politics. Whichever way you look at it, whether it is the COVID crisis, economic deceleration, Ukraine crisis, uh, the 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 failure of global multilateralism. It's the most uh, vulnerable countries, the weakest countries, the poorest countries uh, that bear the brunt of most of these problems. So I think becoming a voice of the global south is India's way to bring a new kind of leadership on the global stage at a time when great power politics is is uh, you know is, is sharpening and where uh, uh, the the you know the, the various parts of the of, of, of globe, especially the major powers, are increasingly unwilling to work together. So how India brings these competing um, uh, priorities together, how India brings multiple stakeholders together will be a big test of India's leadership. And in, India seems to be signaling that it, it is ready to lead at this difficult juncture. We'll see what happens. Of course, India needs to become the voice of the global south and also has to bring together a lot of disagreeing major powers. Uh, before we close this episode, a very quick comment, Harsh, on the uh, counter-terror conference, the No Money for Terror conference that took place here in Delhi and what were some of the new uh, you know, strategies that came out on containing global terror? I think uh, for, for India, this was an important conference because, uh, you know, as we know, uh, and as we have been discussing um, over the last several weeks, uh, there, are, there are so many challenges in the world today that terrorism that after 9-11 looked to be the most important global issue suddenly finds itself uh, outdated and marginalized. But for a, for a country like India, that's not really an option. India has to bring this issue back to the global agenda time and time again because uh, india is at the front line of in some ways of, of this of this major problem and so uh, i think uh, in, in india is again uh, making a case that it is willing to lead on this issue uh, it, it is it is willing to bring various countries together and i think india's proposal uh, to to set up uh, you know a, a platform in delhi that can monitor uh, the financial uh, flows to terror groups is something that is uh, that is uh, that has generated a lot of excitement because in in a lot of world capitals uh, there is no appetite anymore uh, to uh, you know to proactively take up this issue. So the more India leads on this issue, the better it is for Indian interests. But I think it is also better for global uh, governance, uh, which at this particular point in time uh, finds uh, very uh, where the issue of terrorism at this particular point in time finds very little resonance. And for India, that's not really an option. So I think uh, what how India galvanized uh, galvanizes the international community, uh, we got a glimpse of this at this conference, and hopefully India will continue. Uh, to to place this issue on the global agenda and we'll continue to take this conversation forward. That was, I think, in, in some ways, the most important takeaway from this conference. 
Yes, being in the position that India is also geogra geographically, uh, it's imperative that India keeps bringing this issue with center stage, the issue of terrorism. And the thrust this time also was on no money for terror, no funding of terror. Thank you so much, Harsh, for that analysis and your comments. And that's it from us on this episode of the Ideas Factory. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.